Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Katie, and welcome to 360 View. This is where we explore a broad range of ideas on all things affecting your body, your wellness, and your mind. So, um, welcome, Dr. Dwan, to 360 View. We've obviously been taking a fair bit of a step around healthcare and how healthcare in different fields fit into general body maintenance or someone's day-to-day or week-to-week or month-to-month routine and try and get a bit of background on obviously yourself and then also the field that you practice in as far as today we're looking at chiropractic or sports chiropractic for you. So yes, I will just go through a few things obviously a bit of information um, on how you got into chiropractic and and what you sort of saw as a benefit to, to head down that field. So welcome along. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Look, it sounds fantastic and hopefully I can give some information that will uh, shine a light on on the profession and, and what I do specifically. Um, at last count, there was 500 different, or well, more than 500 different styles of chiropractic and it is one thing that the industry now is trying to regulate. Um, we're, we're more uniform. You know, when you go to a GP, you can expect a certain service, whereas uh, currently with chiropractic there, it's very diverse. There's lots of different types of chiropractic, and, and uh, hopefully I can uh, lighten that up a little bit. Um, my background as to what got me into chiropractic, uh, there was probably two incidences. Uh, the first one, I was 19 years old. I was working in the building industry, um, young, fit and invincible, and uh, I was throwing big steel scaffolding frames off a six-and-a-half-metre gable roof. And uh, as I threw one, I, I hooked on my T-shirt and I threw myself off the roof. And uh, I landed on a whole pile of roof timber and broke my jaw and most of my teeth and uh, made a mess of my neck. And uh, I had to get physio in Cairo for many months after that to get myself back on track. And, uh, and I'd always, uh, through, through high school, I'd always been interested in, in anatomy and uh, physiology and how the body functions. And I've been a, a, an avid martial artist for 36, 37 years now. So that all feeds into the same, the same knowledge base. And... Uh, I was interested in joints and muscles and, and then getting that therapy. Uh, it took me off site and, uh, and back in the study and I, I initially started up doing physiotherapy and uh, in a Bachelor of Science degree and anatomy, physiology, histology. And, and then I, one of my good friends who was going through with me showed me the curriculum for the, for the chiropractic uh, uh, course and it was much more in-depth and much more to my liking. I got to do the radiology and the radiography so I can take my own x-rays and, and analyse those x-rays. Uh, that's something that we missed out with the physio side of things. And I still got to do all my physio soft tissue stuff anyway. So more so now that I've, I've expanded the, the sports chiropractic side of it. So there was that case. And uh, my youngest brother, um, when he was about nine years old, stood up underneath the table, the kitchen table, he was playing hide and seek or something. And he hit his head uh, pretty hard and he actually compressed his spine. And from that day onwards, he had chronic migraines um, for years. He had intense migraines most days where he'd only, he'd only go to school a few days a year because he just had migraines all day, every day. And wow. he went through all the different medications. He, he went through different therapies. And it wasn't until he went to a chiropractor and he got adjusted. I think he had two separate neck adjustments and his, his migraines went away. And 
um, you know, I was only a young fellow at that time, but I thought, you know, there's got to be something in this. And logic dictates if he's smacked his head and he's done something to his neck, then that's probably the right therapy for it. But my parents were, you know, your typical allopathic parents. They had no idea about chiropractic or anything else. And uh, and we stumbled across it through through trial and error and over a couple of years. So those things pushed me towards it and uh, and and into the mainstream chiropractic profession. And then, you know, I've always been coming from a sporting background myself and my kids are both um, professional athletes. So I've always been interested in the, the athletic side of anatomy and physiology. And it's more fine-tuned, I guess, in the general populace, I guess. So um, I got to play with it a little bit more and I went in and did another postgraduate degree on uh, sports chiropractic. So that's how I got into that. Yeah. So then how, like you talked about the soft, the soft muscle tissue, um, as well as chiropractic, what does the field actually cover? Like what is a chiropractor's scope of practice where you've studied a lot of the same things as a physio, but where does the difference actually lie? It's, it's a really interesting question. And it's, it's a huge gray area, actually. Like I said, there's, there's over 500 different styles of chiropractic. But I guess the, the, the premise is the same when it comes to chiropractic. We, we try to get optimal function from the nervous system. And, of course, the nervous system is encased in the, the skull, the spine, and, you know, around the bones of the body. So we, we try to look for optimal function in those systems, and then we should get, better, uh, you know, more functional or optimal nerve function. Now, your nervous system is your master system for the body. Everything runs from your nervous system. It's the main computer. So if those messages aren't getting from your brain down to your body and back up again properly, then your body isn't going to work optimally. Now, we all have a genetic genetic potential um, where, you know, we should hope we meet our genetic potential, but I guarantee that 99% of us probably aren't. Uh, because we, we don't eat well, we don't sleep well, and we, we don't exercise optimally, and we don't do all of those things that we need to. Now, I'm lucky with chiropractic. Um, I can be a little more diverse with my, with my treatment and my scope. Um, your allopathic, your medical model these days, through necessity, has become very reductionistic. It's, uh, they, they, they're very specialised in very little areas, you see, and they've had to become that way, and they're fantastic at, at that. Um, whereas I can still have someone come in to see me and, I, and, and I've got to nut out why they might be getting chronic low back pain. Now, is that a movement problem or is that a dietary problem? Um, or, or, or are there multiple factors coming into that? And, and that's the puzzle for me. I love working that out. And at the end of the day, no matter what style of chiropractic it is, we try to get optimal function from the spine and the joints um, and the peripheral joints to make sure it's all working properly. We're moving properly. When we're moving properly, our nervous system hopefully functions better. So you talk a lot about movement there. Does everyone come to get adjusted to help better movement or is it working on other things as well? Yes, most people come in to, to in, improve their range of motion or their movement. Now, that said, um, that's because most people are hypomobile on a sliding scale of flexibility. And we're not just talking general flexibility, but, you know, your, your spinal flexibility and your, your peripheral joints as well. But you have a look at, you know, the most, most people are up here somewhere. We, 
your ballerinas and your gymnasts and your divers are probably at the other end of the scale and they're hypermobile. Now, I'm going to treat them differently than I'm going to treat a lot of other people because I'm not trying to increase their mobility so much, but I'm trying to balance up muscle patterns and make sure their, their joints are moving optimally. They're not getting muscle groups on one side of the joint that are overpowering and then creating aberrant movement within that joint, which is then going to increase wear and tear in a joint. Um, now, we all wear over a lifetime, but if those joints aren't moving optimally, then they're going to move, they're going to wear out much faster. Um, now, any activity is a, is a risk, but we risk much more in modern society with our sedentary postures than we ever did from physical activity. If you just look at us logically, we're moving parts. We're mechanical, we're muscles and joints. You know, we're made for movement. We're not meant to be sitting on our asses, otherwise we'd have had big pads there. You know, we're, we're made for movement. So we want to make sure those, those joints and muscle groups are moving the best they can. And look, that all changes depending on people's past. You know, I had a, a trauma where I, I swan dived off a roof and uh, it messed my neck up and that gave me long-term issues with things there. People have sporting injuries or shoulder uh, reconstructions or whatever it might be. Um, and we work around that and get the best function we can with what they're working with. That's the idea. So, so with it, when someone go, does come and see you, is it manual manipulation is pretty much the only thing that you have in your toolkit to muck around with. So you're either moving someone's joint or you're trying to make sure that that is, and that's just done through your physical hands-on and movement patterns, or is there something else that you're able to use to try and sort of help that? That's a, that's a great question, Ben. Now, personally, I, I'm, I'm very tactile. I use my hands. I'm very manual-based, call it old school. Nowadays, there are, there are, computer systems which you can you can roll a, a device down the spine and it'll tell you which segments are moving and not moving and you can mobilize those segments in whichever direction you need to um, but I'm, I'm still I'm still a bit old school and I, I like using my hands because these are my senses and um, I guess the analogy there you know a lot of a lot of uh, medics or, or other professions don't understand that tact that tactile sensitivity but there was a uh, a court case many years ago, and uh, and they were talking about uh, tactile sensitivity and whether you can feel those things or not. And he he brought up uh, the case of uh, Braille and uh, blind people. You know, to everyone else, it's a pile of dots, but to a blind person, that's Shakespeare. You know, it depends what you're used to feeling with your hands. And over the years, my hands have got very sensitive to feeling minute changes in tension and temperature and uh, moisture on the skin and things like that that might indicate there's aberrant qualities up in that area um, or inflammation or something like that. So, that, you know, that develops over time. And then we do gross movement uh, assessments as well. Um, now, although I'm manual and I, I adjust people fairly manually, I can adjust people, you know, from newborns right through to geriatrics. And obviously you tailor how much force you use depending on the patient and what they need. Um, I also use uh, uh, some passive adjustment tools too. It's called an activator, which is people refer to it as the clicker. Um, I like to use my hands, like I said, because I can feel those things. 
Um, but if I've got an osteoporotic patient, for example, where I can't put a lot of force into their body or they've had some sort of trauma, um, then I can absolutely use low force uh, tools as well. Um, another thing we do is we, we have our soft tissue um, massages. We, we have dry needles and acupuncture needles there. So we have lots of other tools to, to help mobilise and, and loosen and move muscles or activate muscles and joints. Nice. So then you said before you can um, uh, work on people either from uh, paediatrics, so from children, all the way through to elderly people. Is there a time at which, yeah. and you said about your brother obviously having issues when he did with compressing his spine, is there a time frame in someone's life that they can't see a chiro or there's someone too, or it's too too um, young or it's too old or does that come on a case-by-case case sort of thing? Look, it's certainly case-by-case case and they're, they're one thing, this goes for any profession, not just chiropractic, but you need to know your limitations. And there, there are certainly cases where I've had people come in and I've said, look, sorry, I'm not the best person for you. You need to go see the physio. You need to go see, you know, it's time to line up for surgery. Mm -hmm. um, you need to know your limitations of what you can and can't do. And there are certainly patients that come in with certain conditions that, you know, you're limited with what you can do. But at the end of the day, if I look at it holistically, um, not just in their movement, but in their diet, in their exercise, in their sleep patterns, in their moods and things like that, then there's still a lot of things you can help people with depending on what they need. Um, you've, got to, you've definitely got to look at it that way. Uh, and I've adjusted, you know, if we think about the traumas we have through life which can change our direction physically and how we move, and that's, that's one of the biggest contributors to, to aberrant movement in joints is, is trauma. Now, what's the first trauma that you have? Yes. Oh. What's the first trauma you might have? When you fall over when you're a kid. I think. Yeah, well, I think the biggest baby. in some cases, isn't it? Like birth, birth is a pretty big trauma. It's the birth process. Yeah. You know, and some people are lucky and it's not so, so traumatic, but it, it is still a big change and a big trauma, okay? Mm. And then whether you talk about natural birth or whether you talk about cesarean sections, there's different things that impact the body there as well, you see. So it starts from there and it, and it goes on. And we then we're just a, a photo album of different traumas we've had through life, really. And if, if, if we can maintain the body through, through that process, then we're likely to last a little bit longer. We're all going to wear over time. But the analogy is like a, a vehicle. You know, you can get a vehicle going and you can never service it its entire life, but how long do you think it's going to last? Yeah, nowhere near as long as what it did when it serviced. Well, if you look after it, hopefully you get a few more Ks out of it, you know. So then um, how often? And you, can, you get early emotions and you can pick up things early. Hmm. Yeah. So how often then, Duan, should people be looking at actually getting Cairo to maintain their vehicle? Should it be monthly or fortnightly or how often? And should it always be an adjustment or is it dry needling too? Or is it movement patterning or nutrition? Like how often should they look at these things? Okay. So as far as how often people should see a chiropractor or get yourself adjusted, well, that's also, a, that's also an individual thing. You know, if you bring it back to the car analogy, are you on a racetrack every day or are you going down the shops once a month to get food? Hmm. You know, yeah. what are you doing to yourself? And yeah. what are you fueling your body with? You know, what's your maintenance on your body like other than your chiropractor? 
actually. All of those, all the, you know, you're stretching and you're exercising and all of those other factors, what are you sleeping like? So they all come into play when it comes to your scheduling. Now, your body dictates your schedule, not me. And the thing is, and, and just like uh, if I bring up another analogy, you go to a dentist, how often do you get your dentist? How often should you go to the dentist? Well, I think it's supposed to be every six months, I thought it was. In most things, okay. six to 12 every months. The general population knows that because it's been drummed into us for the last 60, 80 years, you know, and it's still getting getting understood as to how often you should get yourself maintained with your adjustments. Typically, if you're, you're a fit, healthy person, you're eating right, you're sleeping right, you're doing everything okay, you can probably get a month out of your body. If you're really lucky, you might be able to push that out in six weeks. Now, try not to be pain-based because even at six weeks, you might not have any pain. That doesn't mean your, your wheels are on the way, you know. It, it, things tighten up and things change and, and it's just maintaining things so you don't get to the point where you crash or something breaks down and then it is catastrophic, you know. Then, you, then you've got more problems to worry about. Hmm. So most people can get through that. If you're really pushing your body physically, you're like some of the guys here at the gym and they, they flog themselves lifting weights all the time or they've got a really manual profession, or even if you're sitting at the desk all the time and you've got constant assault, postural assault on those muscles, then you might need to you might need to get in more often. Um, you know, every couple of weeks on an acute basis. If people are broken and they come to see me, I might see them a few times a week for the first few weeks. As soon as they're moving better and things are easing up, then I can back off that adjustment process and I don't need to see them as much. Which brings me into another interesting thought I just had. You know, my first experience with chiropractic, when I came off that roof, I got chiro for a few months. I thought, well, I can go home and look after myself. I can do this. I can crack my back. And uh, and I see people that frequently come in with that mentality because they haven't been told otherwise. Now, when I crack a joint, what am I, what am I doing to it? Which joint am I cracking? Which one am I moving? Mm, yeah, I suppose I'm that's... I'm usually trying to move the ones that are restricted. Yeah. Okay. And that comes through assessment. Now, what happens is when you jump on the bench, I'll fill up your back and bones and your joints, depending where the problem is, and we'll work out what those movements, you know, where they're restricted and which direction they're restricted, okay? Now, if you've got a restricted joint, in chiropractic, we call that a subluxation, okay, where it's it's displaced, it's not sitting in optimal alignment, okay? Now, a subluxation is usually it, the body locks it up. If you've got an area that's irritated and not working properly, the only way the body can protect it is to lock up around it, okay? So it locks it down. It's called a fixation or a subluxation. So if you've got a fixation in an area, say your spine where you've got all these Lego blocks on one top of one another, you've got a fixation here. What do you think the, the joint above and the joint below are going to do? You They're still have to be over it. So, yeah. Yeah, these ones have to compensate. So they move more and they get what you call hypermobile or too loose, okay? So when you go home and crack back like this, I mean, anyone can get a sound out of a joint. That's just gas release. But are you getting the stuck ones moving or are you getting the ones that are already loose moving? Chances are you're going to get the hypermobile ones moving and you're not doing anything. If anything, you're making the problem worse long-term because then you're pushing those joints to the hypermobile spectrum and then the only way the body can stabilise those is by sticking spurs in. Like they say, if you crack your knuckles, you get arthritis. 
Well, at first you don't, you're just loosening those joints up. But if you loosen those joints to the point where they are too mobile, then the body will stick spurs there to stabilise them, okay? So when it comes to your adjustments, I want to mobilise things to the point where they're moving optimally for whatever your, your body might be. And then I, I leave them alone. I don't want to keep pushing them. So, and then we try to maintain that movement. Hmm. So then, like you say, once you've actually... It's always something that we hear when we go to chiropractor, or we do a back cracker or cracking or noise or whatever. And you said before that that's just about that gas that's in the joint or, or, or the movement in there once it's moved. Um, is that noise okay? So if someone was to hear that, like you say, people cracking their knuckles, people cracking joints and stuff like that, is what is the actual noise? Like you say, it's a gas, is it? That's what we hear? Yeah, usually, usually it's... it's uh gas that comes out of the synovial fluid in the joint. Now, some people have creaky knees when they're, they're going up and down stairs, and that's because the cartilage in the joint might be a little bit rough and frayed, and it creates little air bubbles as it, as it rolls across the joint and it crackles. Okay, well, similar sort of process when you get adjusted. Now, if you open a, not that you should ever drink cool drink, but if you open a, a soft drink bottle, you get all those bubbles fizzing up out of the solution, okay? And that's because you've released the pressure on the bottle. So the gas that's pressurised in the solution cavitates. It comes out of solution that pops. The same thing happens when I adjust a joint. When I move a joint quickly, it creates a, a negative pressure or a suction within that joint. And it sucks that nit nitrogen gas out of the synovial fluid and then the ligaments pop because it expands in the joint, you see. And that lasts for about 20 minutes or so, and then the body reabsorbs it, and that's why you can't recrack in that 20-minute period because it doesn't work. The, you know, it's, not the, it's not the cracking we're after when we're adjusting. It's the movement. And it just so happens to be that when we, when we move a joint quickly off, it'll, it'll cavitate or crack. So then how's the easiest way to get people to stop that? How do you get them to stop cracking their neck, their back, their knuckles, their anything? Look, that's, that's really interesting. And I can honestly say I've been there myself. So I understand the addiction. And it doesn't matter if you're cracking the fixated joint or the one either side of it, that cracking or cavitation process releases endorphins and it feels good. The problem is if it's not the right joint, chances are after half an hour you're back to where you were because those gases are reabsorbed and you go, oh, I'm still stiff. Okay. So it, it, it just comes down to habit. The thing is, if I can get those joints moving properly, you'll find you won't need to crack them. You don't feel that need to mobilise. It's your body saying there's something wrong here, I need to get this moving. So you twist and you try to crack. But if you get it moving properly, chances are the, the urge to do that will decrease and then it's just a matter of trying to uh, refrain for a few weeks from that habit and uh, you'll find it will change and lots of people have changed that way. Nice. So then when you talk about like once they've had people have come and seen you or seen a chiropractor and had their adjustments and gone through whatever process is, um, what sort of at-home stuff can people think about doing or putting into their own routine to try and help maintain and, and potentially try and make sure that when they come and see you next time, you either the joint is okay or it's not as locked down as it may potentially have been previously sort of what steps can they put in process for that to do at home by themselves okay there's there's lots of things you can do to help get your body through a longer period between adjustments okay hmm. 
um, and now chiros, physios, we've been getting people to stretch for forever, all right? And stretching's fantastic, but, you know, a lot of the, the recent articles that, that are coming out these days are saying that um, statistically there's no difference in range of motion changes between stretching the muscle and strengthening the muscle. Now, when we talk about strengthening the muscle, we're not doing short little movements. We're talking about functional movement where you use those muscles in full ranges of motion. And when you do that, you're going to maintain the flexibility in those muscles and joints and they're going to be healthier. They're going to last longer, okay? So the big thing is you want to get some stretching in, some dynamic movement in. The, 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 the killer these days, which everyone's heard about, is, is sitting. Sitting is the new smoke, okay? As far as health goes, it, it, it seriously impacts us long-term and we need to move more. Now, people are moving to standing desks instead of sitting desks. Look, it's not the sitting or the standing, it's the moving. At the end of the day, you just got to get up and move, okay? And there was, a, so, so you got you got to exercise and you got to move. Um, and that will depend on what your ability is. You know, if you're 95, chances are you're going to be moving a little bit different than an 18-year-old. But you can still optimise movement with what you have, okay? So you've got to get out there and move. Uh, you need body weight movement. You know, if you're young, absolutely get some weights, use full range functional movement, um, get some weights in so you can maintain your bone integrity. Um, and as you get older and you might get a little bit more wear through those joints, then you might need to tailor your movement patterns and the way you lift and exercise a little bit as well. But you can still work with that. There's still so many things we can do. Um, Make sure you're getting good sleep. If you're not getting good sleep, then you're not recuperating. Make sure you're hydrating properly. And I've talked a lot about hydration. It's not just how much water you drink. You've got to make sure your salt balance is right, depending on how much you might be sweating, especially up here in central Queensland where we, you know, just, just living is an exercise. Um, mm. in, in through summer, you know, you've got to make sure your salt balance is right so your muscles can absorb that fluid properly. If we're 78% water, most of that fluid in our body is actually stored in our muscles. So if we increase our muscle mass, we increase our hydration, we're healthier. Okay, so make sure your hydration's on point. Um, we, we, we're starting to talk a lot these days about mental attitude and headspace. Um, you don't see too many depressed, healthy people around. It's just the way the body works. Um, if you, if you, and that's a, it's a mental cycle you can get in sometimes too. I know you guys have spoken about it a lot, um, breaking those cycles and those mental patterns. Um, but you know, you got to move. You got to think healthy, just like you got to move healthy. You know, mm. think healthy, and then your body will produce less cortisol, which is a stress hormone. You'll be able to drop your cortisol levels down, which then, uh, you know, cortisol impacts things like your immune system. Uh, mm. When when stress is up. Your, your immune system is suppressed, which is why you'll notice when you're sick, when you've got a flu, you're very tired and lethargic and, and, and everything's heavy and not working well. It's because the immune system takes a massive amount of energy. Now, the way the body works with the cortisol and stress, we're made for short periods of stress. We're not made for long periods of stress for weeks and months. Our body doesn't work and we get adrenal burnout and fatigue and those levels of cortisol. So it suppresses the immune system because traditionally, when you stressed, you were running away from a tiger and you didn't need your immune system there. You're either going to get away or get eaten. Hmm. So it suppressed your immune system when the cortisol went up, you see. So 
manage your stress, and that, that's, a, that's a huge topic in itself, and fuel optimally, make sure you're eating well. Um, if we're talking about a lot of people, it's a, a catch thing these days, chronic low back pain without any incidents, okay? People just get low back pain. Now, one of the big contributors to that is, is diet, believe it or not. Um, and I was reading a study just recently that said if you up your proteins, your fats and your sugars, then it also ups your sensitivity uh, in conditions like fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis and any of those inflammatory conditions, okay? So I'm your original carnivore, I love my meat, but moving to more a plant-based diet can be much healthier. Um, so look at those sort of things and make sure you're fueling for what you're doing with your body. If you're an elite athlete, then you're going to have to be on point and you're going to really have to take note of what you're getting in. Um, and that, yeah. of course, ties into your exercise and everything else. Yeah, and from what pretty much like saying, the, the best way to do that and, and put that through that maintenance phase is to think about it as a holistic approach. Really go through it as a whole body like you're saying, your hydration, you're thinking about what you're putting in your mouth, um, what movements you're getting in and making sure you're not doing sedentary stuff for a long period and thinking about that stress levels as well. All of those things. Try to, if, you, if you target all those little factors, then holistically, hopefully you're going to be much better off. You know, if you're only targeting two or three of those, you're still going to crash the car at some stage. You know, you've, mm. got, to, you've got to make sure all of those factors are on point. And there's lots of little subcategories to those. And that's what the different professions are for. You know, if you're not sure about some nutritional stuff, then go see a dietitian or a nutritionist, you know. If you're not sure about movement, come see a chiro or a physio. Mm. Um, your PTs and your exercise physiologists, you know, there's a wealth of knowledge there on movement patterns and functional movement. Um, the same goes for sleep or anything else. So there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, so on that there, Dewan, when you talk about like nutrition and sleep, they're two that you've brought up multiple times and because I know you've spoken about it before, can you feel the difference in the way someone adjusts when they've had good sleep and poor sleep versus good food and bad food? Because obviously their inflammation changes, but can mm. you feel that difference when you adjust them? Absolutely. It's massive. And look, I I forget the statistics on on sleep, but it comes back to the, the immune function and how the, all the other systems in the body function as well if you're not recuperating. When you sleep, it's your recharge, okay? And that's when the body can go through its list and can check off all those little things. And if you're not giving it sufficient time and you're not getting just not just length of sleep, but productive sleep, you know, good quality sleep, then you're not going to be, you're not going to be recharging properly and yeah that does all sorts of things to your muscles and your your immune system uh and your guts and everything else um it intellect i was reading an interesting article it can impact i think it was 60 percent of your daily functioning with your memory just getting enough sleep during the day it's massive yeah totally. people don't and put enough emphasis on, on good quality sleep yeah, and like you're saying, there's been a lot of studies and it is a big um, buzz thing at the moment as well as to know about that sleep patterning, being able to get a regular sleep time and wake-up times, I think, as well, is to try and get into that same, that you're not having sporadic sleep to try and get yourself into that circadian rhythm and, and also the way it sort of works with that. 
So then when we think about coming to a chiropractor, um, what can we expect? So what would be your generic thing to go to as far as when someone comes in, how we would go through as in we're not going to be thrown on the table and stretched out from one end to the other. How would we go through when you're actually assessing or what points you're looking for when you bring a new patient in if we were going to come to a chiropractor? Okay. Knowing what to expect is, is very important. So, and, you know, this is what we're trying to get some conformity with within the profession. So essentially when, you, when you're presenting here, uh, unfortunately a lot of people because the, the common paradigm is still pain. Most people will come in with pain. I'm lucky at the gym here. People recognise movement patterns. The trainers are right on if they see something not quite right and they'll refer people in. So you come in, you don't need a medical referral to come in. You can jump onto the, the Facebook site or you can give us a call at, at Bibbit. You can... Uh, you can um, you can send a message or you can even book yourself in on the program. But mm. once you've done that and you've got an appointment slot, if you haven't been in before, you, you come in as an initial patient. Um, when you come in, obviously, we'll have introductions. I'll sit you down and uh, we'll go through our, our legal stuff, our waivers, um, so you understand what you're in for and, and what it's all about. And uh, and then we go through we go through whatever your history might be. We do a very thorough history. Um, not just on your immediate problem, and, uh, but uh, what you're presenting with, but, but other stuff in the past as well, even family stuff can come into play. And then we'll, once we've done that, then we'll target those areas and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see where we can help. Mm, nice. so then, um, that's usually with uh, some form of adjustment or muscle therapy. Yeah. yeah, so then with that, one, just one point I want to bring up there is you, we obviously know that you spend quite a lot of time with your patients mm. on this and that's how you're able to explore a lot of this stuff. But I think a lot of people who have been through a chiropractor have had the experience where they're on the table for 30 to 60 seconds. They're not really sure of the person's name that's adjusting them and then they get back at, out the front door before they even really know what happened. Is that... Is that common in the industry or how do people go about finding someone who is going to spend that time? Because the experience you just described is really quite different to what is, I guess, the norm. It is. And look, I've, I've practiced lots of different ways over the years. Um, I've been in high turnover practices where we have hundreds of people a week coming through. And look, some people love that sort of adjustment. They love coming in, jumping on a bench, heading home. But you, you need to be on point with your time management and you need to be on, on point with your, your history before that. And every time, even though it might be a short adjustment period, you do your, you know, your risk factors there. Has anything changed? What's happening now? And, and then you can assess there and then you get an adjustment. And really when it comes, comes to the adjustment itself, it doesn't take very long. But um, because of my own physical condition, uh, looking after my own body and my own health these days. I like to take a little bit longer with my, with my appointment slots um, and I like to be able to dig a little bit deeper because that's what it means to me. Um, and I've benefited myself over the years from that adjunct therapy, the stuff that goes along with your adjustment, uh, whether it's your soft tissue stuff or your exercises, because it's not just mobilising a joint that's going to get you better most of the time. You need to work out what's happened to it and what you can do system-wise to get that better. 
Um, so I like spending more time these days and doing other things as well. But everyone's different there. It comes down to personal choice. This is the, the art of chiropractic. And, you know, you've got a science component and you've got an art component. And art is how we all adjust uh, slightly differently. And because of my height and my body weight, you know, I might find big fellas a little bit harder, whereas my athletes are usually fitter, smaller and more mobile, and I find them a bit easy to adjust. So, you know, there's there's preference there as well. But, you know, that's that's why there is differences within the profession. And we're trying to we're trying to at least narrow that field a little bit so you know what to expect. So um then you obviously uh, do specialise in some sports stuff as well and, and dealing with athletes. Do, do people that come and see you or book in and jump on have to be specific to a sport or have to have some sort of ailment as far as from a sport to actually come and see you? Or is it you're very open as far as it doesn't matter, but you, you do have that speciality of looking at a sport or athlete as well? Yeah, exactly what you said. Look, I, I love seeing you know, the whole range of people from babies all the way through, okay? And I always have, um, like I said, sometimes now that my body's ageing a little bit as well, I find some people easier to adjust than other people. But, you know, you know, flavor, different flavours, it's a spice in it and it's fantastic and I can help lots of different people in different ways. Um, so, no, I don't just see athletes, even though the business is called Spitcher Sports Chiropractic, that's because I have additional qualifications uh, in that field. But no, I love, I love seeing all sorts of different people and you don't have to come in with anything specific like that. Um, mm. If I can help, I'll let you know. Yeah, so then to wrap that up, Juan, if people are looking to get a chiropractic treatment, how do they look for a quality chiropractor? Are there certain credentials or skills that you look for and how do you know that you're going to be safe in someone's hands when you walk in the door? It's really interesting. Up until... Uh, I think it was the late 70s, 1978, chiropractic in Australia at least was uh, um, not regulated. Almost anyone could go out there and call themselves a chiropractor. But since that time, it has been under what's now called APRA, the, um, the governing body for any medical profession. Um, you know, we're under the same regulating body as any GP or dentist. Um, so it's it's a it's a regulated profession. You need to make sure they have credentials. They've got their their APRA certification, and you can look all that online. You know that that information is publicly available. But from a client perspective, you might want to know where that chiropractor did their training, because some schools have slightly different takes on on certain things. They might do a little more soft tissue, or they you go to some of the chiropractors in the states and they do minor surgeries as well. We don't do that here in Australia. Um, some some chiropractors uh, from the some of the original, the older schools in America uh, have slightly different ways of adjusting, and you might like those ways. If you know nothing about that, then ask, and they'll have on their credentials. You know, I do manual adjusting. I do Gonstead adjusting. Gonstead is a style of adjusting. Uh, SOT, sacral occipital technique, or Thompson table drop piece technique. They'll usually tell you what they do, and you can look that up. That's easy. But then you'll know what you're getting in for with specific chiropractors, you know. And if you're not sure, then ask. Um, they'll tell you what they do. Um, chances are if they just brush orders, you're going to be in trouble. 
Yeah. So then obviously, like I say, there is some specific skills that that chiropractor can train in and, and what sort of range, like just you, you said you've done, um, uh, your dry needling is, is one sort of therapy that you use in there. Do all chiropractors have dry needling or is there some that don't have it? Is that an additional skill that'll come through that you need to no, check I, for? I, I used, yeah, I, I, I do a lot of dry needling myself um, because of my own history and, uh, and, and sporting history and, and the things I've done with my body in the past to keep myself functioning. And I've found, even though I, I don't enjoy needles a great deal, I had a lot of uh, positive response from that. So it pushed me into that field. And I thought, well, if I can help a percentage of my clients with this tool, with this therapy, then it's just something else in my tool belt. Same as the, the soft tissue stuff, uh, the muscle work. It's, it, they're all different tools in the tool belt, you know. And when you come out of university, you've got a basic tool belt and generally you expand there depending on what your interests are. Uh, as a, as a person and where you want to go with your chiropractic. Mm. So it's, if you're not sure if you've never been to a chiropractor before, it's always worth asking what they do. And if you don't understand what they those things are, then uh, they can go into it more or you can look it up. It's pretty easy to find out. Nice. Not Sorry. everybody when they come in need all those therapies either, you know. It just depends. It's a case-by-case basis. Oh, nice. so. I know there probably be a lot of questions as far as the dry needling because that's yes. usually the biggest questions we end up getting with. Is dry needling what it does? What is it? Is it as bad as going to a normal doctor and getting your vaccine or getting a or getting a, a needle or and something then, going like that? And what does it do? And the other end of the spectrum, is it acupuncture? Is it the same thing? Yeah. So maybe you could just touch on for our listeners yeah. exactly about what it yeah, what dry needling is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And like I said, I don't have a, a personal love of needles myself, so I can completely understand when people want as much information as possible when it comes to dry needling. So, look, the the general difference between your acupuncture and your dry needling is is philosophical, okay? Your, your Chinese acupuncture, they've worked out, they, they work on what's called meridian pathways. There's certain pathways that go through your body and you know, they've worked out if you put them along these pathways, they can change certain organ systems. Um, I can't even give you an example. You know, one in your earlobe, one in your big toe, and it might change your bladder. Mm. That's out there. But it, that sort of thing, they work on meridian systems, whereas dry needling, in some ways, it's more crude. In other ways, it's much more scientific, where we go through and we find areas of tension in the body, whether it's muscle tension or scar tissue, ligament tension over joints, and then I place the needle in those tension areas or trigger points, okay? And it, it creates a different response. You get a neurological response, you get endorphin release. Um, I can go right into the neuro of it. It slows down dorsal horn feedback and, and subdues uh, the pain feedback mechanism. And the other thing it does is because we have fascial pathways that run over all our mu muscles throughout our body, if you can get it in those trigger points, you can release those muscles and fascial pathways, okay? And essentially, it's, it's like sticking a chunk of steel in an electrical circuit as well. You, you cause those fibres to release because you scramble the, the electrical messengers going through those muscles or fibres. Um, so, yeah, it works in lots of different ways. And uh, I get some fantastic responses with it. 
Um, as far as the needles themselves, they come in a variety of different sizes. Um, I use three or four different sizes depending on the area that I'm trying to trying to needle. Now these ones, if you there's there's five in each one of those little tubes there. Now the the a quarter of a millimeter in diameter, they're much smaller than any blood needle you might be getting. Okay, mm. and the other difference is the tip of the needle is conical. So it's, it's circular, it's conical, not chamfered on an angle. Um, the chamfered needles sort of cut through the skin and they, it's more traumatic and that's where you get that burn and you feel them more. Whereas with a, a conical needle, you, you tap it and you, most of the time you don't even feel it go in. And then I'll only go down, although that's a four-centimetre needle there, I'll only go down to the depth of the tissue that I need to, I need to uh, release. It might be a few millimetres, it might be a few centimetres. If there's one in the glute there right into the piriformis, it can go into seven centimetres, but that's usually the longest one and not many people Ooh. need it. Um, but that said, you don't really feel it either. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, unlike unlike all the prep, you know, when you get the blood tests, you've got to get all sorts of swabs and things. For some reason, you don't really even need to do that with these yeah, it, because they're conical. They don't traumatise the skin in the same way. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's amazing. I, I I don't know from personal experience. I find it very much very beneficial, yeah. um, as well as uh, to get blood, even just to get generically get fresh blood. You know, like getting it sort of trying to help the yeah, area the, if you've got injuries. Blood flow in the area as well. Yeah, that's what I. Yeah. That's what I yeah, found. It stimulates blood flow and get moving. Yeah, no, it's very good. Yeah, really, really helpful. Nice. So you leave them in. Yeah. So how long do they get left in for? Sorry, Doctor Juan. Usually you leave them in anywhere between, well, say three to seven minutes is the norm, but you can leave them in up to 15 minutes. And then you, there's different levels of needling as well, not just depth, but different levels as in a lot of it's got to do with depth. You go down to the tissue, but then you can tighten the needle up, you can turn it, and that binds the fascia around the needle and you'll often, often, often get a, a stronger response with that. Uh, because yeah. that loosens up that fascia there, and then and then you just put them out. You don't even feel them come out most of the time. They go on a waste bin, a single use, and they're done. Yeah, so that's amazing, Juan. So if people want to get in contact with you, whether they have a question they want to ask you, or whether they want to um, have a look, because I know that you do some videos as well for people to help um, try and gain that better understanding of the industry. So where can they get in contact with you or find you? Look, the easiest ways to, to get in contact, um, because when I'm adjusting, I can't answer the phone. So phone phone for me doesn't really work. I can check messages fairly often and get back to people with messages. So I use uh, the SMS messages on, on the business phone number. Um, messenger on the Facebook site is great. And there's, there's a, a business messenger for that. So get on the Facebook, I can answer any questions and have a chat there. You can also book yourself in from there if you want to do that. And uh, you can see what we do on the Facebook site as well. I try to put some videos up and some additional information on the site as well. Um, and if, if you wanted to, you could also email uh, chiropractic at gmail.com. Awesome. And you're Spitcher Sports Chiropractic on Facebook? Yes. Excellent. Nice. Yeah, well, thank you. Unless there's anything we'll else that you want to jump in. Yeah, so long as you've got everything there. Some of those other topics. I love to talk about them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, there's there's plenty of stuff you can dive into and get down a lot of rabbit holes. I know that. Um, yeah, when you start looking at stuff. Really? Yeah, that's right. And I think this gives people a good idea of what chiropractic is, as far as what to look for, where to go, and, and how it can be implemented in their day to day, or their week to week, or month to month, like we said. So it's it's really good something um something there that you can jump on as far as you can book yourself. Um, and go through there to make sure that you can keep your um, your body maintenance up to date. So yeah, thank you very much for that, Dr. Dwan. And um, yes, we'll definitely look forward to chatting to you again in the future. Thank you viewers for tuning in to another episode of 360 View. You can follow us on Instagram at 360view.co to stay up to date with everything we're doing and tag us in your podcast listening. If you found value in today's episode, leave us a like, a review and a five-star rating. If you know someone who could benefit from listening to this episode, give it a share. And if you have any questions, shoot us a DM on Instagram and we'll answer them on the show. Thanks again, viewers, and we'll chat to you in the next one.